0: there uh is supposed to be important um and like this one uh that's talked about uh balance books that banks have all taken a hit like it's a surprise when interest rates go up that's what happens what is a balance at a bank if they're holding a mortgage that they issued to you and most banks don't do this anymore they usually sell it back into the market as soon Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to an exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake McClure. Yep. Today, Jeff McClure is back from vacation, but his welcoming party included COVID. So send him your best. He's doing well if you can call it well, for being sick. But uh, he didn't want to grace the airways with his shedding virus. Um, I don't know if that would be like a mass spreader event, if he would be talking through the radio. You might all get it. Uh, So he is, uh, please send him your your best thoughts. He's doing well, considering, uh, but probably shouldn't be on the air. Uh, So today, Jake McClure, yours truly, or... Mostly, truly, It's a nickname, Jake. My actual name is Jacob. So, there's yours, truly, um, is here to reach you all by myself. Hopefully, you're not all by yourself as we talk now. It sounds like I'm giving romantic advice instead of investment advice. This is the personal wealth coach, and I've got to give disclosures. I just gave you the first ones. Uh, I'm, am I'm, uh, If you don't get the humor so far, you might want to change. To a different program immediately. We're going to be talking about amazing things, very interesting things like interest. If you have interest in interest, then this is the program for you. If you don't find the talk of the Federal Reserve Board fascinating and riveting, then uh, this might not work. Hopefully I'll make it entertaining, but there's only so much you can do with a stodgy bunch of people that meet in in closed doors in a dark room. There's no cigar smoke in there anymore, but there used to be. Um, There's no Illuminati involved, or so they tell us. Okay, so what are my disclosures? Number one, the Personal Wealth Coach is the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm, as well as this program. This program got the name first, uh, but it led us to making the investment advisory firm. An investment advisory firm that's registered with the SEC. What does that mean? Well, investment advice falls into a different category than financial advice. I know that's weird. Financial advice, investment advice sounds like the same thing. It's kind of like being an engineer, though. If you purport to being an engineer, there's a credential that goes with that. And being a fiduciary is involved in investment advice. That means that you've got to put the client's interests way ahead of your own. Not just ahead of your own in a lot of cases, the sole interest. Um, But we can't do that on the air. We can't do fiduciary investment advice on the air. I wish we could, but there's all kinds of privacy issues. I need to know who I'm talking to, and I may not be talking to anyone. The world of AM radio might be dead at the moment. I don't know. But it might also have lots and lots of people listening, so I can't give advice to people except in a very generalized sense. Then that advice goes in as education because investment advice is personalized. I know that's over the top for for a disclosure, but people ask me about this. Why do you say that? So we're giving education and hopefully I'm giving some good stuff over the past few weeks about the history of banking and why it is that we do what we do and hopefully keeping it somewhat entertaining. (sighs) It's a dry subject. There's no pictures of artillery barrages or anything like that for the great history lessons. But you know we we can do bank artillery barrages. it's It's still damaging, so we'll talk about that stuff. Next up, Just because the firm's registered with the SEC to give that fiduciary advice doesn't mean that the SEC thinks that we are some kind of anointed, chosen anything. That's just who's in charge of making sure that we follow the rules. Doesn't mean that we even follow the rules, though we think we do. Their job is to make sure we do. The reason why we mention that is part of our obligations as a fiduciary is to tell people who we're registered with. There. Okay, next up. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff. And the bunch of stuff, that's technical terms, by the way, this is, I know it's academic and those are hard words to follow, but the bunch of stuff that we get are from sources that we deem to be reliable. Why do we deem them so? Because we've been following them for a long time and they don't lie to us that much. Sometimes there's weirdnesses and we'll talk talk to you about that stuff, Uh, but we're not warrantying or guaranteeing. Most of the time, I'm not the source of this information. Well, some of it I am. The stuff that I make up on the spot. You, did you know that uh, 37.8% of statistics are made up on the spot? I just made that up right there. Yep, that's, that's me. You can measure it, though. 100% so far. Well, that's two of them. Yep. All right, so sources deemed reliable. Um, the, the, and, and I didn't say it in the way that my dad usually does. We don't pay for this radio program. We do provide it to the studio. Uh, we don't get paid either. This is not paid commercial programming. It is some kind of a weird, mutated volunteer service that's gone way too long. We like it still. And generally speaking, when older Baldy is on, Jeff, he's my dad. And generally speaking, the two hours that we have on the radio together is the longest conversation we have during the week. So it's pretty awesome. And if you listen to us in our radio program, that's us in real life too, so you might think, oh, man, these guys are so fascinating. Just talk to our wives a little bit about that. Okay, so I've got some questions sitting out there. Um, our Inquisitor John, uh, thank you, John, for your, your question. The question is reverse repo. He's got a, a tomorrow. Can you guys explain this and how much banks earn by overnight loans? Okay, okay. Um, The article that he's got here is Deposit Outflows Shine Light on Fed-Led Program. Um, That's a great headline, but it's still pretty murky in there even when you shine a light. Most people don't understand this. So I'm going to, before jumping into how much money banks can earn um, by reverse repo from the Fed, I'm going to say what the heck is going on here. Um, the federal reserve, what, what are they? Let me get this really, really basic as basic as we can get. The federal reserve was established by the United States government, but it's not the government. It's got appointees to its board that are from the government's appointments. So the president, uh, nominates and the Senate confirms. It's very much like a cabinet process, only it's to put them at the chair and a couple of points below the chair of a board of banks and these banks are these banks are not normal banks they're federal reserve banks well what's the difference between a federal reserve bank and a normal bank well you can't go to the federal reserve bank and deposit money unless you're a bank federal reserve banks are the banks to the banks. If you put a deposit at Wells Fargo or Citigroup or USAA or any of the other banks out there, they have a relationship with the Federal Reserve because it's the banking reserve system. It's where they put their deposits. I know that seems a little bit weird, but if you think about, like, where does the U.S. government put its money when it gets the taxes in? Oh, that's a weird one, huh? Is there like a big bank account at Wells Fargo or something? No, it's actually sitting at the government and it's like government banking. Um, They also put deposits at the Federal Reserve. Weird, huh? Um, When you you would think, well, why don't we just, this is a big debate that happened during the Bush Gore campaign and one that should come up again um, on privatizing social security. George W. Bush said, let's make a, uh, let's give some of the money back to the Social Security payers for them to invest in their own kind of separate investment account, kind of like a TSP for federal employees, like a 401k or something. It was, it was kind of an interesting concept. And um, there was a lot of pushback from it where, uh, Al Gore was saying, well, we take that and put it into a government lockbox. He called it a lockbox. And this was a big debate. The problem is, where does the government deposit money? Where does it put its money? You know, other people, if they've got other governments, if they have a lot of money and they need to put it somewhere, they loan it to the U.S. government. Well, what does the U.S. government do with it? Well, generally spend it. But w- When they spend it and they obligate themselves to do something later, they deposit on themselves or take a loan from themselves. The U.S. government's weird that way. Well, the Federal Reserve is the bank for banks. The government doesn't need a bank. It is its own thing. Banks have to put money somewhere too. If they just sold something, you would think, well, they just have a big pile of cash in the vault. Well, they might want to get some interest on their own money. They don't pay themselves interest. So where do they put the money? Well, that's the Federal Reserve. It's not the only place they can do it. They can also give it to other banks, make a short-term loan to other banks. Um, They're required to hold the banks, the normal banks are required to hold some reserves. They can't loan out all the money that they get. And if you think from a banking standpoint, if you go to the most basic bank, the absolute most basic bank, before regulations, before anything else, is your friend that has a little bit more money than you do at the moment? Maybe not all the time, but right now he's got some money or she's got some money and you don't. And you say, "Hey, can I borrow some money? I'll pay you back tomorrow. I'll gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today." And they say, "Sure." Hopefully, they didn't give you all their money because then they don't get a hamburger. So they they want to hold on to some of their money. But what if you don't pay him back? Well, he could talk to all your other friends and say, "Hey, they don't. He doesn't pay back. Don't don't loan him money." Well, over time, if your friend tends to accumulate more cash and spend less of it, and is willing to loan to people and get a little bit back, he becomes, in essence, a bank. And at some point, he'll want to insure deposits. Hey, give me, everybody give me your money for the night. We're going out. I'll handle all the money. I'll make all the payments. Just, I'll tell you if you're running out of money, and, uh, and I might loan you something if you really run out of money. Well, this is banking. That's how it started. There's no regulation around your friend loaning you money or everybody holding the money for you when you go out one night at some point when that friend is making their living from doing that the government has said hey we got to make sure that your deposits are intact that if you want to establish yourself as a safe place we got to make sure that you keep enough money on hand that if everybody shows up and asks or at least a, a percentage of them shows up and asks for the money you have money on hand." Can't loan it all out, even if that that's how you make money. And that's a literal term, by the way. That is actually how money is created in our economy, through loans. So it's important here. So the Federal Reserve gets loans from banks and gives loans from two banks, the same way you do with your bank. And you say, what do you mean? I never loan my money to the bank. Well, if you have a deposit at the bank, that's a loan. You loan them the money. You can come and get it at any point, And they're paying you hopefully, an interest on that loan. We tend to not think of it as, as giving a loan to the bank, but that's what we're doing. And when you hunt around for a safe bank to put your deposits in, you're looking for good credit. You're making sure that they'll pay you back. That's giving a loan. That is absolutely what it is. Then you're checking to see if they have insurance on the loan so that if they somehow fail to pay you back that the insurance company will. So as a basic concept, banking is a lot more understandable than we tend to think it is. We tend to make it so sophisticated and hide it behind crazy words like reverse repo. What is that? Is that like when they take your car out of your parking lot because you didn't pay for it? No. Um, Banks are required to have that reserve on hand. And this, I've talked before on this on the air, but it's worth a repeat. People often complain about banker's hours. It's a, it's a statement, oh, I'm working banker's hours today. Why? Well, because generally the bank closes at four. Why is the bank closing at four? I mean, they're, we're living in, a, in an era where you should be working till the end of the day. What's going on? Inside, the employees are still working. What is that for? What is that about? Well, a bank's job it, what it really gets paid for is making loans, whether that's a loan to you or a loan to another bank or a loan to the Federal Reserve. It doesn't matter. That's how they make their money. And the Federal Reserve has told them, you're not allowed to loan out all your money. If you loan it all out, then what about when your depositor shows up tomorrow and wants some? You have to have it for them. That's your job for them. So the Federal Reserve is supposed to help protect the depositors and the stability of the banking system. Okay. So the the bank says, all right, I've got to have reserves on hand. But if you think about how many loan officers work at a bank and in a day when they're remote working as well, and all of them are working on making loans to people, that's their jobs, that's how they get paid, is by making loans to people. And if you have 47 loan officers at a bank, And they're all making loans during the day. It's really hard to keep track with how many loans actually got signed today. Anybody that's ever gone to a house closing or tried to buy a car, the loan process is supposed to be really easy and get done according to plan every time. But that's not how it actually works. There are delays. There are things that go fast. There are things that go slow. So even an estimate, how many loans did we give out today? Says the bank manager. Well, we better close the doors and figure that out. And that's what they're doing when they close the doors at four o'clock. They're comparing notes. How many loans did you give out? How many loans did you give out? Adding them all up. Used to be done with an abacus and a double-entry bookkeeping, the computer helps a lot now. But anybody, like I said, that's been to a house closing lately knows that the technology is not all lined up so that they can instantaneously know what's going on. Otherwise, your closing would have gone a lot smoother. So technology is still catching up with this. The bankers still have to say, oh, we gave too many loans out today, what do we do? And they have till the end of the day, maybe five, maybe six o'clock, to get those reserves into the bank or they're gonna be in trouble. The Federal Reserve says you've gotta have those reserves or you're gonna get fined. And if you do it enough, you might get shut down. So what, what do they do? Well, there's a couple of places they can go. They can go to the Federal Reserve in its overnight window because they get a loan overnight. Well, why? what's good as an overnight loan? If you loaned out too much money, what's the point of that? Well, banks have an inflow of money and an outflow of money on their deposits. And there's big inflows on the first of the month and on Fridays and on the 16th of the month. Those are paychecks coming in, people depositing their funds. And anybody that watched the old movies, uh, (laughs) Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, why do they hit the bank when they do? Well, because that's when payroll is hitting. Payroll is a real thing. It is everywhere. Everybody that has deposits and they're making deposits to the bank, it doesn't matter if it's a social security deposit or uh, an employment deplo- deposit the bank makes this this money comes in during the week or during the month and if they need a loan for overnight until the money flows in for the paychecks tomorrow then they go to the federal reserves overnight window when the fed raises and lowers interest rates this is the interest rate we're talking about what are they charging banks for an overnight loan so that they know they're making making their reserves They can also put deposits at the Federal Reserve and get an interest payment on that. So they can get a loan or a deposit at the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is charging about 5% for its loans and it's paying about 4.8% for its deposits. Those are the numbers that come out when they say we've raised or lowered interest rates. So the bank's are really interested in this. They know what they're going to be earning on deposits and what they're going to be charged for overnight loans. There's another place that they can go to get money overnight. And typically that has been to call up the neighbor banks. Well, those neighbor banks over time formed into a big network of banks and kind of a marketplace for this kind of loan. And this is called the repo window. Why is it called a repo? Isn't that when you don't pay your debt and they come and repossess it? Well, it is a repossession. It's an overnight loan or sale. This is the way you think about it. Where if you've got a bunch of treasury bonds and you need cash instead, because if the, if the depositors show up, this is like SVB, the Silicon Valley Bank, failed because they had too much set in these long-term loans and not enough liquid cash. Well, you can go to the Federal Reserve and say, I'd like to sell you some of my longer-term bonds overnight, and you give me some cash for that. And the Federal Reserve says, uh, sure, we'll do that. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you some cash. You give us the security, uh, or vice versa. Uh, we'll sell you a security overnight, and you give us some cash for it. So if you want a slightly higher interest rate, this will work. And that's what the reverse repo is. That used to be just between the banks. The banks would just go to each other and and say, hey, I have some bonds on hand and I need some cash. Or I have a lot of cash. You have some bonds. I'll get some extra interest on that while you get the cash for overnight. Well, the Fed had to step in and take over that marketplace in 2018. They didn't completely take it over. Oh, th- this is kind of a weird thing. Anybody that listened to us back in 2018, this was a weird situation. The banking world went through a completely abnormal event. The Federal Reserve has been doing stress tests on the banks, and the banks are re- the big banks, and they're required to hold certain types of assets in their reserves and some of those assets don't qualify like the longer term loans to the government if if svb had been under these rules there it wouldn't have failed so the, the the federal reserve is telling these big banks we're looking at your reserves and your reserves deplete every night what's going on and the big banks were saying well we're doing these reverse repos to make the other banks more stable the Federal Reserve wouldn't count that as a benefit to the big banks, so the big banks stopped doing it. There were Jamie Dimon from uh, from JPMorgan Chase uh, came out said we're we're not doing this anymore. The Federal Reserve is not giving us any benefit for the effort that we're putting in, and all the big banks kind of left at the same time, which caused the money market system to fall apart because the money market system is is exactly that. It's making a market in money from the banks and the Fed, from these treasury-backed securities. So a lot of the money market deposits are wrapped up in this area rather than banking deposits. So it's giving loans to banks. It's interesting for their assets and vice versa, s- selling the, the asset to the bank overnight to get cash. Um, that's what a money market is. It's it's actually literally in the market. The banking market, where they're putting deposits, when they're asking for cash, that's what a money market is. It doesn't have always the same protections as a bank. There's there's a lot of things that you have to look at. But this is, this is what's going on here. So when the Federal Reserve is involved in a reverse repo, what they're doing is they're stepping in and they say, hey, we have a bunch of bonds. Um, and if you have too much cash and you want to earn a little bit of interest, we'll sell you this bond today and buy it back tomorrow, and we'll buy it back tomorrow at a slightly higher price than we sold it to you today. And the difference is an in interest rate. And the question that John has says is, can you, depo- can you explain this and how much banks can over- earn by overnight loans? Well, you have to go to the Federal Reserve's minutes. Every time they have a meeting, they discuss this and they say, all right, how much are we doing? Uh, what, are we, what are we giving out right now? Um, and in their minutes, uh, implementation note issued March 22nd from the Federal Reserve, one of the things that they're doing is they're conducting standing overnight repurchase agreement operations with a minimum bid rate of 5% and an aggregate operation limit of $500 billion. That's overnight. So they could step into that money market. It's really a market, the money market, with $500 billion on any given moment to shore up the banking system. And they did that with about $400 billion last month when SVB failed and Signature was following suit and First Republic was in there. They dumped in $400 billion in over in about a week. It's not as fast as they could do it. They could do $500 billion in a day if they wanted to. So how are they making interest on this? Um, those repurchase agreements, what does a bank make on it? Well, there's a limit on how much they can do in a given day. Uh, so conduct standard overnight reverse, reverse repurchase agreement. If you say that to anyone you meet on the street, they're going to say you need therapy. So... Let's, let's just get this the wording right. Conduct standing overnight reverse repurchase agreement operations. It sounds like each of those words are standalone words and you kind of cram them all together. What does that mean? There's an overnight purchase and or sale and then repurchase the next day operation that's offering a 4.8% interest rate and a limit on the other side of the operation, the per counterparty limit of $160 billion a day. So that means any given bank can't do this with more than $160 billion per counterparty. That means $160 billion. That's a lot of money for one bank. Uh, John asks, how much money could banks make with that? So the way you figure that out is it's a 4.8% rate on $160 billion divided by the number of days in the year. And that amounts to $21 million. So if the, if the banks wanted to just do this and nothing else, and take their money and drop it every night into the repurchase agreement and just make their 4.8% on it, they would make $21 million a day. That's pretty cool. Now, that's not exactly correct because interest may not be charged daily. It may be only on business days, but you get the idea. This is the concept. It's annualized at 4.8%. So depending on how you divide it, per day it averages to $21 million. That's a lot of money. 4.8% without any risk at all to the bank. So why don't they all do that? Well, because they can get more if they make a mortgage for you. If the mortgage interest rate is 6.5% and they're only going to get 4.8% at at the Fed, then they want to make these mortgages. They're more profitable. But the margin between what they can loan it out elsewhere and what they can get from the Fed <clears throat> is very, very small at the moment. So a lot of them are putting it at the Fed. They're taking their deposits and putting it there. That means there's less money available to make mortgages with, which slowly raises the interest rate on the mortgage, which makes it more profitable to put the money in a mortgage loan for the bank. So this is like a normal settling of the market. Eventually, banks will go back to making loans when the difference between what the bank is paying them The federal reserve bank is paying them versus what you would pay them for a mortgage becomes clear so that's not clear at all that's pretty muddled and in in a weird place but it's essentially just your friend getting a loan from a bank so that he can make a loan to you and if the difference between the loan from the bank and what he's charging you is enough he can make a living doing that so that's that's what's going on in the big banking world it's it's weird there's other headlines like they're, <laughs> like, like they're uh, is supposed to be important. Um, and like this one uh, that's talks about uh, balance books at banks have all taken a hit. Like it's a surprise. When interest rates go up, that's what happens. What is a balance at a bank? If they're holding a mortgage that they issued to you, and most banks don't do this anymore. They usually sell it back into the market as soon as they make the loan. But some banks still hold that original mortgage and they made the loan to you at 3%. That loan is not worth as much as the same amount of loan at 6%. Would you want to buy, Would you want to put a deposit at a bank for 3% or 6%? Well, you want to go with the 6%. Banks are the same way. So when they go to sell this mortgage, if they didn't sell it immediately back when they made it, it's going to take a hit on the, on the balance sheet. Well, if they just want to hold on to it and they don't want to sell it, then on their balance sheet, if they market to what someone would pay for it today, that's called mark to market, then it looks like they have less money in there. It's not money. It's still that obligation that you owe them you still owe them exactly the same amount that you did before. But on the market, it's worth less than it was. All of this is really, really conceptual. All right, so we're in a weird spot in the government too, and I'm not changing the subject. This is still Federal Reserve related. The federal government, not the Federal Reserve, but the federal government, the U.S. Congress, is working on the debt ceiling at the moment. Um, And when they're talking about the debt ceiling, We can't borrow any more money at the governmental level. Anybody that knows anything about the federal government is we're spending a lot more than we're making on tax revenue. So how are we continuing on until June using extraordinary measures if we're not borrowing stuff? What are the extraordinary measures? Some of it is taking money out of the TSPG fund. Um, Some of it is more IOUs internally to the government. They're allowed to borrow from themselves. Some of it is taking it out of already paid budget items for like the highway department and so on, if they've got a big cash position waiting for a big project, the federal government can come in and take that back out. Okay, well, there's another component here from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve makes a profit off of the interest on U.S. government debt. So if they hold a bunch of U.S. treasuries, the U.S. government has to pay them interest on it. And that's part of the expense in, on the budget of of interest payments, it's a big expense at the moment. It's it's eight hundred and seventy eight billion dollars for the this budget, October uh, through February. Now, if we look at last year's budget, um, last year's budget was two point two eight trillion dollars, um, and last year's payment by the Fed back to the U.S. government. What I just said, they made a profit. They're required to pay back. This is a bank for banks. They're required to pay back the interest that they earn on this stuff to the federal government above what's required to make sure there's enough liquidity in the system. Okay, that sounds really esoteric, very complicated. What is is the actual number? Um, They paid back weekly to the federal government over the year 2022, $76 billion total. $76 billion is a lot. And then uh, that, and that's about three point three percent of the budget. They also paid back fifty-eight point four billion annually. So that's another about two percent. So the Federal Reserve is providing around five percent of the budget back to the United States. Kind of a weird set up. They've got rules that they're following to make sure that they have reserves on hand to step in and save banks if the banks are failing or at least save the banking system if a bank is failing. Oh, and this is the only reason why the Federal Reserve should step in to prevent the failure of a bank is to prevent the failure of a lot of banks. The failure of a single bank is generally a good thing. I know that's weird for me to say. It's if if that bank failed, A lot of times, it's because the bank was doing something stupid, and they should fail. And that's something that the banking system recognizes. Jamie Dimon, who's kind of the spokesperson for the private banks of the United States, and that's kind of a traditional role, J.P. Morgan was that guy when he was around. And the guy that runs his old company is Jamie Dimon. So he steps out and he says, hey, it's okay for single banks to fail so long as they're not the first domino in a huge chain. And we're getting to the point where individual failures are possible without dominoes falling. And why is that? Well, because the Federal Reserve stepped in so quickly and provided money so quickly. The FDIC provided insurance quickly so that more deposits weren't yanked out of banks all overnight. Now, having said that, this is from um, Financial Advisor magazine which is an industry rag, and they, I, I don't necessarily recommend reading it without a grain of salt for a lot of things, but they do provide a lot of good statistics. And the statistics that they provide from different sources tend to be good. Um, and what they're saying is that money fund assets, that's money market funds, hit a record new high this last week, because people are bank- yanking money out of banks still and putting them in the money market, which overall is a good thing for banks because it allows that, you, that repo window is open. The money market funds are there. They're providing another big source of, of bank flow. Um, now, if you read any of the press, it sounds like it's a bad thing and that banks are scared of it. They're scared of it because they're losing deposits it actually makes them more liquid. So, what are, what are they at? It jumped up 49 billion dollars in one week. That's pretty amazing. Now, the outflows from banks were a little bit more than 49 billion. So, some of that was being spent, some of that was being kept in just raw cash, and some of it was being used to invest in other things. That's another form of spending. So, the total assets in the money market funds right now is 5.25 trillion. That's that's a big, big deal. About half of those went into retail funds and about half into institutional funds. What's the difference? An institutional fund is acting kind of like a bank for banks, where a retail fund is acting like a bank for depositors, not that banks aren't depositors in the other one. But that kind of gives you an idea. When people talk about institutional funds and so on, that's important. I've had a lot of questions on FDIC insurance and and how as a as like an employer, if you've if you got a welding service and your payroll every month is $400,000, well, that sounds like you're really wealthy. But if you've got 30, 40, 80 employees, $400,000 is a reasonable number. Well, that's way above the $250,000 FDIC limit. And it's really important to keep your money insured. How does, how does it work? And this is a headache that's existed since FDIC began, there are services that, that say we'll, take, we'll help you deposit your assets around in enough banks in enough places so that you have insurance on it all and then route your money to a paycheck account for the actual paycheck. And that's a lot of coordination and they charge for it. They don't charge a huge amount. They don't take all the interest that the bank is paying, but they exist they they definitely require due diligence. You have to, you have to research them out. They didn't really exist for, they haven't existed for very long. These are kind of new institutions that are purely technologically available now because they can link up to the other online banks and compare the balances and figure out how much to transfer and then do it in a transfer that's called a trusted transfer. From the banks, Um, and that's they've got a lot of names for this, where the bank knows that the money's arrived or they know that the money's there, so these services have just a payment account. And often the payment account is not insured, but it's empty most of the time. It only gets money in it to immediately put the money out again. These are all weird setups, and there's a lot of mumbling back and forth in Washington about raising the FDIC insurance limit uh, Janet Yellen said she doesn't know if that's a good idea. Um, there's something called moral hazard. And uh, when I was talking to my wife about this a, a month ago, my eight-year-old daughter was listening. And uh, we've been listening to old country and talking about it. And she thought that Merle Haggard was involved in the banking world. So moral, moral hazard is when somebody saves you and instead of causing you to not do the activity that you got saved from, it encourages you to do it more. Whether that's tightrope walking, well, it's safe now because there's a safety net. Well, if the safety net's not safe... You have a moral hazard in that you're expecting it to be. And when the FDIC steps in and insures everybody, even when that's not the limit, people might take more risks. And what I tell people when they're talking about that is, number one, the bankers don't have an incentive to take more risks. That would be a depositor. And the depositors are trying not to take risks. The bankers at SVB lost their ownership. There's going to be some bankruptcy payments to the owners of the bank, but it's not going to be 100% of what their value was. Was before the failure, so moral hazard is there, but it's not to the bank; it's to people putting too much money in a bank. The bank still doesn't want to lose all their money, and SVB lost all their money. And this is—we've talked about banking the entire first hour of this program, uh, and it's there's a lot of other stuff to talk about. Uh, next hour i'm going to be talking about new technology new medicines that have come out how things are changing in that world a lot of optimistic stuff coming forward but we're out of time for this hour if you'd like to talk to us off the air we do provide investment advice and portfolio management to people of high net worth The phone number locally, voicemail during the weekend, real live people during the week is 254-947-1111 or 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, The Personal Wealth Coach or tpwc.com and you can read our newsletter, sign up for the newsletter, contact us through the contact form. You can email us at jeff at tpwc.com and jake at tpwc.com we actually read those on a daily basis um and uh until next hour this has been the personal wealth coach